Funding for this edition of Think Tank with Steve Adubato has been provided by the Healthcare Foundation of New Jersey, Newark Board of Education, PSEG Foundation, PSENG, committed to providing safe, reliable energy now and in the future. NJ Best, New Jersey's 529 College Savings Plan. The Adler Aphasia Center. The Northward Center. Community Food Bank of New Jersey. And by Johnson & Johnson. Promotional support provided by Meadowlands Chamber. Building connections, driving business growth. And by NJ Biz, providing business news for New Jersey for more than 30 years, online, in print, and in person. Hi everyone, I'm Steve Adubato. We kick off the program with Charles Graber, the journalist and author of a compelling book called The Good Nurse. And Charles, first of all, welcome. Thanks, Steve. This is a book about Charles Cullen. I'm gonna read a little bit from the back of the book that puts things in perspective. This won't be long, I promise. After his 2003 arrest, registered nurse Charles Cullen was quickly dubbed the angel of death by the media, but Cullen was no mercy killer, nor was he a simple monster. He was a husband, beloved father, best friend, and celebrated caregiver. Implicated in the deaths of as many as 400 patients, he was perhaps the most prolific serial killer in American history. Charles, what the heck caused you to be so fascinated by um, Cullen? And when did it start? That's a great question. Uh, you know, I wasn't really fascinated with him initially. I was at first fascinated by the fact that he was in jail, um, attempting to donate a kidney from jail, uh, being prevented from donating that kidney by uh, uh, the very upset family members of his victims who didn't want to see him playing God from behind bars as he had with their own family. Um, I thought that was a very strange situation, and he wasn't speaking to anybody. Uh, but then he started talking to me. And once, once we started talking, I understood that the fairly simple story uh, that I'd, I'd, uh, that I think the world had understood about a misguided mercy killer that had been caught by a system designed to catch him. Uh, it was actually something much more complicated that night. That began a seven-year journey for me. And Netflix picked this up, uh, Netflix film, check that out. But the book is compelling and hold for a whole different set of reasons. It goes into much greater depth. You know what I'm curious about is I was watching the Netflix documentary and reading through the book. Um, so Cullen goes from hospital to hospital to hospital to hospital, and he is proactively killing patients with poison, correct? That's right. With, with medicines that he's repurposed as, 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 as poisons, yeah. And he worked with several frontline professionals, and one of whom, Amy Lofgren, which we're going to talk about in a second, a really good nurse, a great nurse. Um, a real hero, if you will. Many of the hospitals that he worked in, did they or did they not share the information as to why Cullen was let go from their hospital, which could have potentially flagged him much earlier? That's right. He was, you know, the question with, with Cullen is why wasn't he caught earlier? 
Uh, how many hospitals, he, by the way, over how many years? Nine hospitals and a nursing home over a 16-year nursing career, and he was killing throughout that time. Um, and at each time, Colin was uh, well fired or allowed to resign, and each time he was given neutral or positive references, uh, regardless of what he'd done at those institutions. And so he would just move down the road or... In, in some cases, across the state line between New Jersey and Pennsylvania, and start all over again. Amy Lofgren works shoulder to shoulder with Cohen, correct? That's right. She did at the last hospital he worked at. And liked him. Oh, yeah. They were good friends. Amy Lofgren, while she had a relationship with Cohen, she was the one who stepped up and said, hey, wait a minute, something's seriously wrong here, and went to the law enforcement authorities, correct? Well, there were whistleblowers throughout Cullen's career, uh, men and women, mostly women, who came forward and said exactly that. There's something wrong. We're seeing an increasing, an incredible number of, of codes over our shifts uh, where there were none or very few before. Something's wrong, and this guy's, this guy's wrong. It's this guy doing it. Um, Amy was a little different. She you know, worked so closely with him and depended on him so much that she, uh, I think she was blind to it until uh, detectives that, that were on the case finally right. had to really put the numbers in front of her and say, do, do these look right to you? And she was really resistant to, uh, to betray a friend, frankly. She, you know, she, she's a fierce protector and Cohen is a guy that comes across as needing to be protected. So she thought she was doing the right thing by her fellow nurse um, until she realized perhaps she was shielding a serial killer and then she needed to figure out for herself what was what was true, and, and if, if, if this was true, stop it. How much time did you spend with Colin? Uh, I spent years interviewing him. Uh, you know, whenever I could get into jail, I followed him to his sentencings. I uh, ended up seeing him finally in Trenton, where he will be for the rest of his life, uh, maximum security there. Uh, so, so a lot of time. Did he ever... Charles, take responsibility and said, I, and just to simply say to you directly, I did this. I no. killed these people. No, he would never say kill. Uh, he didn't like to talk about murder. He thought it was crass that we were interested in murder. Talking we, about it was crass. That's right. We are rubberneckers. You know, we're, 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 we're the ones with bad taste, uh, gawking at an accent. Uh, he did occasionally allude to feeling compelled to intervene or euphemisms like that. Um, and sometimes if we backed into a, a specific murder that I knew about, I could get details about that as long as we didn't have to put so, uh, so careful a name on it. So, you know, he's a person that needs to see himself as, uh, as a victim or as a passive element. Uh, he really blamed the system that passed him on over and over and over again. And he considered himself to many extents to be a, a, a symptom of a sick system. But both things can be true at the same time. That's he right. could have been the most um, notorious uh, serial killer in the history of the United States, and also that the system broke down. Forgetting right. about him for a second, to what degree do you believe the, quote, system broke down of sharing information, which in some cases, some of these hospitals, as I watched the documentary read in the book, they were concerned about the potential economic implications of disclosing this because who wanted to build a new expansion who had this new project and how could you raise capital if you said that someone was working in your hospital who was killing patients which was in fact the case please 
I mean, for everybody involved, obviously, a, a serial killer nurse hunt staff is a nightmare. Uh, from the standpoint of protecting your corporation, uh, that's a real threat to your corporation. That brings lawsuits, that brings lack of reputation. Um, and what you see over and over again are administrators in many of the hospitals who were good administrators, just as Charlie Cullen was a good nurse often. Uh, they were good administrators in that they did a good job in the very narrow definition of their of their job, which was to protect that institution uh, as lawyers, as as, as uh, risk managers. But what they didn't do was good. They didn't do good by the patients that really ultimately that system is there to protect. So absolutely, it's a it's a systemic breakdown. And and in, and in the book and in the documentary that I watched, um, there were certain officials, certain administrators, were stopping others from blowing the whistle. Yeah, you know, it, hospitals are famously terrible at investigating crimes or, uh, or or problems within their own institution. It's a complicated process anyway. Medical murder is is you know it's quiet. It involves chemistry uh, and paperwork, and you're dealing with people who are in a hospital because they're sick, so they already have underlying health conditions. It's it, it takes time, and these are very cautious institutions. They proceed like doctors or lawyers. They don't proceed like cops. Um, so what you see is, uh, you know, a culture that also doesn't want to believe they have a problem. And I believe that's part, you know, there's, there's a lot to be said for that because who in the world ever has their first thought be, there's obviously a serial killer afoot and we're employing them. You know, that's, that's the last place you go. But even when presented with, uh, with empirical evidence, even when told by New Jersey Poison Control, you have a police matter, uh, what didn't happen for a long time, it was not kicked up to the next level, was not kicked up to law enforcement, it was not voluntarily uh, given over to the, the DOH or a nursing board or something like that. Right. It, those red flags were very slow to be risen. The book is called The Good Nurse. Um, the good nurse here again is Amy Lofgren. There's a lot going on here, um, very complex stuff. Charles Graber, uh, journalist and author of The Good Nurse. It's about a lot more than Charles Cullen. Thank you so much. We appreciate it, Charles. Thanks, Steve. Thanks for having me on. You guys stay with us. We'll be right back. Hi, my name is Almas Saracia at Malcolm X Shabazz High School in Newark. I completed the FAFSA because it's a graduation requirement and to assist me with paying my college tuition. Last year, Newark students earned more than $77 million in scholarships and financial aid. Don't miss out. See your school counselor today. Let's go to work, class of 2023. Complete the FAFSA or NJAFAA. Did you know that you can save money while saving the environment? New Jersey's Clean Energy Program offers incentives, programs, and services that benefit New Jersey residents and businesses, as well as educational, government, and nonprofit entities, helping us save money, energy, and the environment. Learn more at njcleanenergy.com or call 866-NJ-SMART. New Jersey's Clean Energy Program, lighting the way to a clean energy future. We're now joined by Otis Rowley, Head of Philanthropy and Community Impact at Wells Fargo & Company and President of the Wells Fargo Foundation. Good to see you, Mr. Rowley. Really good to be here. Let me also disclose that Wells Fargo is a significant underwriter of our work at our not-for-profit production company. Uh, Mr. Rowley, talk about the work of the foundation and work of Wells Fargo, particularly in not-for-profit organizations making a difference disproportionately in urban communities, please. Sure. We, you know, we're just eager for our corporate foundation, one of the largest in the country, um, to really help to address some systemic issues. 
Um, and so we target our investment, our philanthropic strategic investments and nonprofits that are focusing in areas where we have expertise, small business and entrepreneurship, housing access and housing affordability, um, and financial health. Yeah, some of those organizations include the African-American Chamber of Commerce of New Jersey, Latina Entrepreneurship Training Series Program, and New Jersey Community Capital Equitable Small Business Initiatives. In these very challenging times, you know, three years into COVID, nonprofits, and we are one of them, not just fighting to stay relevant and alive, but we're constantly raising money. What have you seen in the not-for-profit community, particularly in urban areas, as it relates to their efforts to keep fundraising successful and allowing the organization to thrive? It, it has definitely been a challenging time, particularly in light of the of the pandemic. Um, I think many nonprofits have had to really struggle, um, not just in terms of fulfilling their mission uh, in a in a difficult time, but also being able to fund the the mission. So I, I think what we have seen, the philanthropic community has really stepped up. Uh, fortunately, I think federal, state government, particularly during the pandemic, um, offered a lot of different grants and loans as well. Because at the end of the day, these small business, uh, these nonprofits are small businesses. They employ tons, tons of individuals. They are dramatic um, and significant uh, contributors to our overall health in terms of the economy. And, and again, because we see small business and entrepreneurship as, as critical, um, not just to the health of New Jersey, but to the health of our nation, um, and it is a primary area of expertise for us, our foundation has tried to do a, a significant amount of outreach and support, particularly during these trying times. Mm. Uh, Mr. Earl, you are from Jersey City originally. Born and raised. I, I, I'm, a, I'm a Norker, born and raised. I see a smile on your face as soon as I see Jersey City, because? Well, because it's, it was where I was raised, it was where I was shaped. It's one of the most diverse places actually in the United States. Um, I, I had the privilege of learning about culture and about the, um, the cornucopia that is humanity in Jersey City. You know, I, um, I, I just, the people who have invested in me, family, friends, et cetera, it, it happened there. And so I have, I have a lot of love for, uh, for my hometown and for my home state. I hear you. You know, one of the organizations that uh, you support, that Wells Fargo supports, that we're very aware of, is a very important national initiative with local um, tentacles, if you will, and that's LISC, the Local Initiative Support Corporation, LISC. Why is LISC so important, particularly in urban communities? Well, you know, we are really careful in terms of who we choose to partner with because we we understand as a as a foundation, there's a weird power dynamic there. Um, funder to fundee, right? And so we try to make it very clear that no, it's a real partnership. And LISC is one of those that really satisfied the due diligence, not just in the state of New Jersey, but around the country. They've been a real partner in community development and economic development. And that's because the local the local affiliates um, really have the ability to adjust and, and be flexible and meet the needs, um, the, meet the needs of the community that they serve. And we just found them to be a phenomenal partner in the state of New Jersey. They know the community, they have relationships there, um, they understand how and the only way that we're going to be able to bridge that that divide, that economic divide, and and kind of reduce the racial wealth gap is by making key strategic investments in individuals and in communities. And that aligns with the values of the Wells Fargo Bank and the foundation. Mr. Early, where does, again, in these very challenging times, inflation is what it is, economic struggles that people face every day, and even though the unemployment figures seem to be positive, 
those are statistics. People's lives are much more complicated. The reason I asked, that's the reason why I asked this question, the place for employee volunteerism, because people are saying, very often it's like, well, you want me to volunteer? I'm trying to keep my head above water, trying to feed my family, and now you're talking about volunteerism. Talk about that. It matters more than ever. It really does, because at the end of the day, while our jobs provide us with the financial means to kind of to, to live, um, the living part of who we are is connecting to the other humans in our in our places of work, in our communities, and our neighborhoods. Um, and we have long had a history of support for employee volunteerism. We have over 250,000 employees, and we provide a couple of days off where we pay them. Um, to, to go and, and volunteer um, because we feel like it's an important connection. Um, it, it helps you to realize that the individuals who you're working for and with are, are truly your neighbors. And so the, when you see the red shirts coming, uh, as we often when we volunteer, we're wearing our red, uh, our, our red jerseys or polos. Um, we see it as a, a critical part of our mission and being a, a real corporate citizen. You, know, you talk about this from a corporate perspective, but I'm curious about this. Before I let you go, to what degree is the work you do highly personal for you? Um, you know, it is, I, I do see it as not just a job, but um, it's, it's kind of a mission for me. You know, I, I studied um, uh, urban planning, urban studies with a concentration in housing, community economic development. And um, I've, been, I've been blessed with the ability over the last 25 years of doing housing, community and economic development. Mm. I'm really trying to bridge that, that divide and, and advance a sense of equity. Um, some of the struggles that I had in, at Lincoln High School in, in Jersey City um, and seeing how a public school in Jersey City was not as supported in the way that some of our suburban uh, neighbors were, um, that, that struggle around the inequity has, has been deep um, and has really helped to inform a, a lot of the work that I do. I'm so excited about the opportunity to advance an equity agenda at the Wells Fargo Foundation. The bank values it, um, and it, and that aligns with my personal values. Well said. Uh, that you've been listening to and, and watching Otis Rowley, who is the head of Philanthropy and Community Impact, Wells Fargo and Company, and also president of the Wells Fargo Foundation. Mr. Rowley, thank you so much for joining us. Appreciate it. Thanks for the opportunity. Have a good one. You too. Stay with us. We'll be right back. To watch more Think Tank with Steve Adubato, find us online and follow us on social media. Hi. My name is Almas Saracia at Malcolm X Bass High School in Newark. I completed the FAFSA because it's a graduation requirement and to assist me with paying my college tuition. Last year, Newark students earned more than $77 million in scholarships and financial aid. Don't miss out. See your school counselor today. Let's go to work, class of 2023. Complete the FAFSA or NJAFAA. Did you know that you can save money while saving the environment? New Jersey's Clean Energy Program offers incentives, programs, and services that benefit New Jersey residents and businesses, as well as educational, government, and nonprofit entities, helping us save money, energy, and the environment. Learn more at njcleanenergy.com or call 866-NJ-SMART. New Jersey's Clean Energy Program, lighting the way to a clean energy future. We are honored to be joined by another Rutgers scholar, Dr. Saladin Ambar, professor of political science and senior scholar at the Eagleton Institute of Politics at Rutgers University, my alma mater at Eagleton. And uh, uh, first of all, doctor, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, please, uh, Steve, uh, call me Dean, and uh, good to be here um, uh, this post-election uh, moment. 
So again, post-election, the end of 2022, moving into 2023, this will be seen then. Question. I'm looking, I know this, my research is a lot of papers, and it includes the Post. Yes, the Post, not the Washington Post. Eyes on the spies. Help us get this. So now the Republicans control the lower house. The Democrats, even though people are moving around there, it looks like they control the Senate. And Joe Biden, the president. Republicans taking over the House, they say their primary focus is Hunter Biden. We have inflation. We have global warming issues. We have uh, internal threats, external threats. There are a whole range of issues. Hunter Biden, top of the list, sir. Please talk to us. Well, the Republican Party, frankly, is a non-functioning party, if it's a party at all, certainly on a national level. Look, there are Republicans in states like Georgia. Brian Kemp has an agenda. There are people the like McConnell who care about uh, you know, policy uh, and getting judges through. But by and large, it is a non-party. It is an ideology uh, of distortion, um, you know, vagaries of human personality. It's kind of a, a form of a cult in some ways. Um, it's It can't be taken seriously um, as a party uh, as such. There's no real platform to speak of. They were pretty proud of that last time. So yeah, um, they kind of are perfect for the New York Post, the paper I grew up with in Queens. Um, page six, it's a page six party, if we could call it that. And Dean, I appreciate what you're saying, but there are a significant number of people who call themselves Republicans. However, um, and the reason I'm focusing on this, and then we'll talk about the Democrats in a second, and there are lots of splits in that party, in the Democratic Party as well. But when Marjorie Taylor Greene is saying in, to the Repu young Republicans, I'm not sure what state she was in, you know, if Steve Bannon, Trump's former advisor, and I were uh, leading the January 6th insurrection, we would have, quote, won. And we would have been armed and then said I was joking. But Marjorie Taylor Greene matters. She matters to Kevin McCarthy. She matters in the Republican Party. Where does she, what do you think winning means to her and to that wing of the party? I think winning means attention. It means, you know, media hits. It means being able to make money on the circuit, uh, speaker circuit. It means glorifying yourself to, to the expense of, of real policy and issues. Uh, again, it's about the individual candidate and the personality and the persona, uh, you know, tapping into that right wing media funding and, and you know, uh, you know, chicken circuit, uh, however you want to describe it. And it's tragic for democracy. Let's, you know, not parse words here. It's absolutely tragic for democracy why? in America. Dane, why? Help out people no. understand that who just say, I'm a Republican. Why, why are you mixing me in with all those other folks who have things to say that are so dangerous having to do with January 6th. What, do you, what does that have to do with democracy? Well, you know, Liz Cheney, last I checked, is still a Republican. Mitt, Mitt Romney is still a Republican. There are a handful of Republicans nationally around the country who care about democracy, who care about January 6th as not representative of multiracial right. uh, democracy. This is still a republic, at least ostensibly, and there are some Republicans, few though they may be, who care about that, uh, and including, I think, Mitch McConnell. Um, you know, so uh, to be a Republican is, is not a uh, you know an attack. To be a Republican who has uh, is not to launch an attack on on one's person, uh, but to but to be a Republican and remain silent on January sixth, let alone to approve of it, uh, you know, to traffic in innuendo that somehow it was a good thing or could have even been done better, 
is uh, horrific and and automatically should disqualify someone from holding office or running for office as a member of a party to be taken seriously. Talking about the role of Congress, we look forward to having an interview with um, the congressman who represents, I believe, the 7th District, Tom Kane, who beat Tom Malinowski in a very highly competitive race. Um, at the time, the candidate for Congress, Tom Kane, did not do any media interviews with us or a whole range of other folks. We look forward to having him. Why? Because we want to know, you know, we've interviewed people. Actually, I'm going to come to this because I'll ask Congressman uh, Kane about this. But I asked State Senator Edward Durr from South Jersey, who actually won in a race against the Senate President Steve Sweeney. I asked him about January 6th and what we need to learn from him. He said, let's move on. I asked him about denying the 2020 election. He said, Steve, let's move on. How do we move on, Dean, without acknowledging what those things, what those events mean and what denying elections mean? So let's just move on, Dean. That's what the senator said, you say. I think that in all, let me be very serious here for a moment. You know, I think there's something to be said about uh, moving on from, you know, anti-democratic, you know, uh, violent events in our history. You know, um, we are a state that remembers 9-11. We're a country uh, that, uh, you know, certainly uh, supports uh, the statement never again with respect to the Holocaust. We're a country that ought to remember and does remember slavery. We don't, we don't, we, we're adults here. We can't just move on from bad things because they maybe affect us personally in a negative way or how people perceive us. That is the absolute, um, you know, worse uh, remedy for any kind of problem. You know, I'm not, I'm not a psychologist, but I think, you know, Psych 101 tells you that, you know, running from your problems is not the way to address them. But they don't, and, but excuse me, Dean, many Republicans do not see that as a problem. That is, that is, they are the party of either Donald Trump or those who believe in that, quote, MAGA wing of that philosophy. And dare I say, there's a, we're interviewing some folks who've written and understand the QAnon stuff. But, but that's, a, is, is that the party or is it a narrow wing of the party? And I promise I'll move to the Democrats. I got two minutes left. You know, I think I think you're right. I think it is the party. But I think there are folks in the party like Tom Kane Jr. who realize it's a problem, who, you know, if you cornered him in a room somewhere, would tell you this is absolutely nuts. It's bonkers. Uh, but they want to former Governor Kane would say the same thing. One hundred percent. Absolutely. A man of, you know, dignity, whatever you may and think Chris about. Christie, he, our former governor, would say the yeah. same thing. And Chris, uh, Christine Todd Whitman, a former Republican governor, would say the same thing. So what's left? Well, well, you, you, at some point, someone of prominence is going to have to take a stand for the benefit of the country and for the benefit of their own party. If they truly care about their party, someone uh, of prominence is going to have to take a stand. And certainly Tom Kane Jr., with his name recognition in a state like New Jersey, would go a long way uh, to doing that uh, if he were to take on that uh, that battle. Dean, real quick on this minute left. Um President Biden, I believe, will be 82 if he runs again in 2024. I, I'm not going to be accused of an ageist, being an ageist, but is 82 too old to run for president, which means 86 on the back end? Oh, you know, as someone who wakes up with aches and pains every day, uh, you know, I think we, I think we all know that, uh, you know, when you start to get up in age, you're not at your optimum. And, you know, ideally, he would turn it over to someone else. But the truth of the matter is, if Donald Trump is the nominee, 
uh, for the Republican Party, a big if. Obviously, he's got a lot of legal issues and other problems going on. But if he, he were to be, then Biden may be one of a handful of people who can beat him, to which I say, you know, if he's 103, let's roll him out there because democracy is on the line. And I think, um, sadly, that's where we are at this stage uh, in our politics. I appreciate what you're saying, but also it seems to me that the party has a responsibility to put up the strongest possible candidate to make the biggest difference for all the people. People can decide for themselves. Professor, I want to thank you so much for joining us. To, the, to John Farmer and the family at the Eagleton Institute at Rutgers, we thank you so much. Thank you, Professor. Thank you for having me, Steve. Pleasure. You got it, Steve Adubato. That's the professor. We'll see you next time. Think Tank with Steve Adubato has been a production of the Caucus Educational Corporation. Funding has been provided by the Healthcare Foundation of New Jersey, Newark Board of Education, PSEG Foundation, PSENG, NJ Best, New Jersey's 529 College Savings Plan, the Adler Aphasia Center, the Northward Center, Community Food Bank of New Jersey, and by Johnson & Johnson. Promotional support provided by Meadowlands Chamber and by NJ Biz. Hi, my name is Alma Saracia at Malcolm X Shabazz High School in Newark. I completed the FAFSA because it's a graduation requirement and to assist me with paying my college tuition. Last year, Newark students earned more than 77 million in scholarships and financial aid. Don't miss out, see your school counselor today. Let's go to work class of 2023, complete the FAFSA or NJAFAA. Did you know that you can save money while saving the environment? New Jersey's Clean Energy Program offers incentives, programs, and services that benefit New Jersey residents and businesses, as well as educational, government, and nonprofit entities, helping us save money, energy, and the environment. Learn more at njcleanenergy.com or call 866-NJ-SMART. New Jersey's Clean Energy Program, lighting the way to a clean energy future.